Good morning. Our passage this morning is from Philippians 4, chapter 21 to 23. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings, and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word for us today. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace, and we're so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. As you heard, we are finishing up our series through the book of Philippians uh, today. As you may remember, if you've been here since the beginning of this series, we talked about how this church in Philippi was formed. And it was formed and planted with Paul's influence, but ultimately it was people from different socioeconomic status, different ethnicities coming together because the one thing that they had in common was the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And we here at Grace believe and hope that that is the one thing that holds us together as well is the good news of Jesus. We would love to help you understand how that fleshes out here at Grace. And a great way that you can do that is by coming to our membership class, which is April 10th. That's on a Sunday morning in a couple weeks. It's from 9.15 to 11, where you can hear more about how the gospel holds us together. You can hear more about how the local church operates biblically, and you can learn more about grace. So if you are new, or if you've never been to a class like this, we would encourage you to attend and check things out in that way. As we close up Philippians 4, we read these last three verses, and in these last three verses, we see a closing. This is really not just the closing, but the signature that Paul puts on the letter. Remember, this is a letter written to the church that he helped plant in Philippi. And in this signature, he is closing or signing off on his letter. And the way we end something, the way we sign something, says a lot about what we believe and says a lot about the contents of the letter. This is very similar to how we close an email. So we're going to take a look at some email signatures this morning, some examples, and what they may say about us and the contents of our email. So uh, first, you could just sign your first initial. My name is Jason. A lot of times I will sign an email just with the letter J. If you do this like me, you really just want to be friends. This is a friendly way to close an email. By the way, I've done all these things, so I'm not poking fun at anyone person, but all of us collectively. Uh, the next is warmest regards. Maybe you've seen this one, warmest regards. If you sign your emails with warmest regards, it means you want to sound warm, but you're a bit too chilly. <laughs> Let's take a look at another example from the desk of Captain Marvelous. If you receive this email, it is from someone that works in IT. <laughs> Count on it. Next, we have best best. This is becoming a more common way to sign your email. If you sign your email with best, you're in middle management and you don't want to sound too casual nor too professional. This can also be uh, used to mask when you've said something mean in the email. Best. <laughs> sign your name. Thanks with a comma. Thanks with a comma. You're aware that you are asking for my time and you are appreciative. Simple enough. Thanks, comma. That's a nice way to sign an email, thanks with three exclamation points. You might be a serial killer. 
And one more, just for fun, sent from my iPhone. <laughs> if your email is signed sent from my iPhone, you need to find a 13-year-old to help you with your technology. <laughs> How we close an email says a lot about us and the contents of our email. How you sign a letter, especially in Paul's day, said a lot about what you believe and what you had to say in the letter. And as we look at this closing from Paul today, we see a good recap of the book of Philippians and the letter that he has written. And we also see what Paul often closes his letters with, which is a benediction, a good word spoken. We believe that the book of Philippians has a good word for us and has had a good word for us this whole series. And we want to leave here and leave this series with a good word spoken over us. And that ultimately is the good word and the good news of the gospel. Would you pray with me as we get started? Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that we can know and have good news today. Thank you, God, that you speak a better word over us than any man or the kingdom of man ever could. Father, we need to hear from you today, God. We have had so many things spoken over us. We have taken on so many identities. We have believed so many things about ourselves and about you and about the world that are not true. And so, God, we ask for your truth. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you, Jesus, that you yourself are the way, the truth, and the life. And God, we pray that we would know that truth, walk in that truth, and we would remember, or maybe even hear, the good news of the gospel for the first time this morning. God, give us minds to understand the things that you say. Give us hearts that believe it. And give us hands and feet ready to do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at Grace, we are used to hearing from this guy, Brooke Simpson, our, our lead pastor. I'll scoot it back here so everyone can see. This is our lead pastor, Brooke Simpson. He's on sabbatical. He'll be back eventually. But... Um, we're used to seeing the service end with this guy. And at the end of the service, he always, for the 15 years I've gone to Grace Community Church, will end the service with, go in grace. It's the last thing that he says. This serves as a benediction. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you haven't caught that. Or maybe you're from a church tradition where the benediction is more formal. Maybe it's uh, from the book of Numbers, which we're going to talk about today. But Brooks ends this going grace because he wants to speak a good word over us before we leave. He wants to remind us of the good news of the gospel that he or the other pastors have been preaching about. We're going to say goodbye to him for a few more weeks. He'll be back after Easter. But until then, we get to enjoy cardboard brooks. <clears throat> Benediction, a good word spoken. What does this word mean? Here's a definition for us. Benediction means to speak well or a well-spoken word. It's a short invocation for divine help, blessing, and guidance, usually at the end of a worship service. We see here that Paul ends the book of Philippians with the phrase, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the good word that he wants to speak over us, and it is a good reminder of what he has spoken to us through the book of Philippians. So this morning, we're going to do a couple things. One, we're going to learn about the benediction. We're going to learn what it means to have a good word spoken over us and why that's important. And we're also going to do a recap of the series we've been through because as we look at Philippians, we really do receive a good word. We receive the good news, actually. 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's do a recap of what we have learned so far in this book. First, we have learned what it means to be in Christ. In Christ. This phrase, in Christ, is used 10 times in the book of Philippians, and it's used 80 times by Paul in his New Testament letters. This phrase, in Christ, means that if we have had our sins forgiven, if we have had Jesus' substitutionary atonement credited to us, if we have received his righteousness, it is because we are in Christ. Paul puts this very vividly, as we've talked about in this series, in the book of Colossians, when he says we are hidden with Christ in God. We are hidden with Christ in God. At the beginning of this book and at the end of this book, he uses a word to describe the church in Philippi, and it's the word saints. He uses the word saints. We have a lot of things that come to mind when we think of saint. We've talked about this at the beginning of the series. But what he means by saint is those who are seen as holy because they are in Christ. See, here's the story. God is holy and he is perfect and he has made us to be in relationship with him. But the problem is that our sin has created a barrier between us and God. So when God looks at us, he sees us for who we really are. He sees us as sinful. He sees us as broken. He sees us as separated from his glory in and of ourselves. And our very best efforts will never satisfy God. We will never live up to his standard. We don't even live up to our standard for ourselves. But the good news and what it means to be in Christ is that Christ, fully man, fully God, lived a perfect life. He always did the will of the Father. He always lived up to what God had asked him to do. He always did perfectly the things that we talk about every Sunday and the things that we read as we open up scripture. And then he died a death in our place, the death that we deserve. And then just as we sang about, he lives. He was victorious over the grave. He came back to life because he was fully God. And now when God looks at those who are in Christ, he sees the righteous perfection of his son. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means that we are hidden with Christ in God. So, For those that this is true of, those who are in Christ, we see in Philippians 4.19 that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So what are our needs? We've talked about four in Philippians. There are four things that we need that we get by being in Christ. The first one is salvation. We receive salvation. When we hear these sermons, we read a lot of things that we are supposed to be doing. At the close of each sermon, you hear application points, things that you should be doing, and you write them down in your little notebook. And then you go off to lunch, and then you take a nap, and then you wake up, and you don't remember what you learned. We don't live up to God's standard. We can't even remember what God is asking us to do half the time. We need salvation. We need a righteousness, not our own. We need a holy sacrifice, a spotless lamb sacrificed in our place. And that's what we find in Jesus. Being in Christ also gives us provision, provision, everything we need for life and godliness, the peace that we need, the rejoicing, the joy, the love, the forgiveness, everything that we need is found by being in Christ. We also receive joy. Third, we receive joy. If we are in Christ, we can be in a state of rejoicing, 
no matter our circumstances. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And lastly, we receive a new identity. This series is called Identity, Finding Our True Selves. When we are in Christ, we are given an identity that surpasses what anyone else has said our identity should be. It surpasses any role that we're in. It surpasses the labels that we or others have put on ourselves. And it gives us the new identity of being in Christ. So in Christ, we find everything that we need. That's the big idea that Paul is getting at here in Philippians. Next, he talks about being in a gospel partnership. If we are in Christ, it means we are intimately connected to everyone else who is in Christ. We talked about this at the beginning of the series. Because this is true, if you are in Christ, you have more in common with the people in this room than you do your biological family. If you have this one-mindedness that Paul talks about throughout this book in every chapter of Philippians, you have a one-mindedness, a gospel partnership because of what Christ has done for us. It's no longer an individual sport. It's no longer just an individual endeavor, but you are intimately connected to those who are in Christ. It's not just go off and choose your own adventure. We're in this together. We're connected. It's one of the reasons that we gather here together and worship and fellowship and learn from the word together because we are connected to one another, and not only the people that are in this church, but the people that are in churches all over our community and all over the world who are in Christ. We have a gospel partnership. We see here at the very beginning of the book, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until... Now, Paul wants them to have a sense of their connectedness to those who are in Christ. Because we are in Christ, third, we rejoice because of grace. We can rejoice because of grace. If we look back at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Remember back, we've talked about this a few times, rejoicing is a state of being based on joy. It is a state of being based on joy. It is a joy that does not come from our circumstances. It is a joy that does not just come from our feelings. It is a joy not based on what we have done, but based on what Christ has done for us. And remember, Paul anticipates our objections here by saying rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He anticipates our objection or our caveat or our hesitation to rejoicing. When we think about rejoicing, when we start feeling joy, when we start wanting more joy in our life, we immediately think of the circumstances we're in or the things that have happened to us or the things that we have done or looming fears about the future. But here Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice right here, right now, because of what Christ has done for you. Rejoicing in the grace and the good news that we have received. We talk about here all the time how the gospel means good news. Rejoicing means acting like you know some good news. 
We can do that because we are in Christ. This gives us our new identity. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. And to use Paul's language from 2 Corinthians 5, we are now ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors of the kingdom come. We are here, left here on earth, instead of zapped up to heaven on the day of our salvation, so that we can be an ambassador of heaven, an ambassador of the good news. An ambassador represents one kingdom or country to another. That's what we're doing here. We're citizens of heaven, but we dwell here on earth because we are sharing the good news by rejoicing, by experiencing peace, by experiencing a gospel partnership. We are citizens of heaven, and this is where we find our true identity, our true identity. There are so many false identities that we take on for ourselves or that are given to us by the words of other people or by what our society tries to label us with. But this is where we find who we truly are, what our true identity is. A benediction speaks a better word over us. The gospel speaks a better word, gives us a better label than the labels of the kingdom of man. And this gives us our true identity. And lastly, the idea of a benediction, a good word spoken. A good word spoken. Words are very powerful. What words have been spoken to you or into you or over you in your life and how have they influenced you? The old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, is just patently false. Just a very simple example. If someone cuts you off in the line at Walmart, happened to me yesterday, true story, but they don't say a word, you're maybe irritated, you're delayed, but as soon as you check out and go to your van, you don't remember them, you don't remember their face, you don't remember exactly what happened. But if the same thing happens and the person says, stupid, you're never going to forget it. It's going to hang over you the entire day. It's not going to sit right with you. Words are powerful. And that's just somebody in the Walmart line. When those who have influence on us, when those in leadership over us, when it's from people that say they love us, it can be so powerful, the words that are spoken over us. We then take these words and we start to value ourselves and others in a certain way. And then we start to wear these labels as our true identity. And then worst of all, the words that we have received from others, we start believing they're from the heavenly father. Words are so powerful. The book of James puts this very bluntly and in a vivid word picture, multiple word pictures here. 
James chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Look at all the imagery here that James says about the power of the tongue. The second sentence there, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. That's a positive, actually. He's speaking of God putting our tongue in our mouth because it's powerful and it affects our whole body. So God has given us a tongue. He's given us words to praise him and bless others. But the whole rest of this section is telling us what we have used our tongue for instead. It says that it's a fire. A whole kingdom is what it's translated as. A whole kingdom of unrighteousness. It sets on fire the entire course of life. And that fire is from the pit of hell. And our tongue is so powerful, we can't even tame it. You know this is true because of the words spoken to you and the words that you have spoken and the damage that has been done. We need a better word spoken over our lives. We need to speak better words if we believe that there is good news for us and for mankind. And as usual, we turn to God's word and we find a better word spoken over the people of God. The idea of a benediction, many of us have different relationships with a benediction. Maybe it's the formal closing of a religious service. If you were uh, in certain religious traditions growing up, maybe it's something you're unfamiliar with. But the idea of a benediction, a good word spoken over the people of God, goes back to the book of Numbers. Chapter 6. If you'd like to turn there with me, you can. You can also look up on the screen. I'd like for us to take a look at it together. Numbers, chapter 6. First, we learn a little bit about the context in which the benediction was given in Numbers 6, 22 and 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them. So first, a little context here. Moses is receiving this word from the Lord, and he is told specifically who to give it to, Aaron and his sons. But it, it's not going to stop there. It's supposed to go out and be spoken over the people of Israel as well. And if you don't know kind of the context of where these people have come from, this is the Jewish people, the people of God, the nation of Israel, and they have been rescued from slavery. See, they need a better word spoken over them. They need a new identity because the only identity that any of them living have had is the identity of slave. And they have been delivered from that slavery by the hand of God. God parted the Red Sea and they were able to walk through on dry land. God uh, eliminated, destroyed their enemies and he has delivered them. And now he's telling them what kind of people he has called them to be. So this is what he speaks to Moses. Verses 24 through 27, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Again, I don't know what your context for this passage is. Maybe you're new to it. Maybe it is embedded in your brain because of the way you grew up. But we're going to take a look at what this better word is that is to be spoken over the people of God. First, the Lord bless you and keep you. This word bless in Hebrew, it is a posture. The word bless means to kneel towards to kneel towards. When you kneel towards something, it does two things. It puts your focus on what's right in front of you because it's harder to turn. No matter how flexible you are, it's harder to turn. So it fixes your uh, your face on something, your attention on something. But it's also, we kind of instinctually know this, that this is a sign of reverence. It's a sign of turning towards something, paying homage to something. And what are the people of God told here? The Lord bless you. They are supposed to be reminded that the Lord is noticing them, is focused on them, is turned towards them, and he's not going to turn his gaze away. Verse 25, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. This says, if God is focused on us, what does his face look like? Because the Lord focusing on something, when we read the Old Testament, we know that he is holy, and sometimes that means someone's demise. We are told here that his face shine upon you. May his face shine upon you. It's the best feeling in the world, isn't it? When you walk into a room and someone's face lights up because they know it's you. Whether it's a child, a parent, a spouse, a friend, someone's face lighting up. Just because you walked in the room, we are told here that the God of the universe has a look on his face that is shining towards us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This means may the Lord notice you. May the Lord notice you. The God of the universe has a lot going on. This is saying that he notices us. With everything else going on, he notices us. He turns his face towards us and we're told that this gives us peace. What more could you need but the God of the universe putting his face, his attention towards you? And then verse 27, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. God says, my name will be put on you. You'll have the identity that I give you. It is my identity that's most important. It is my name being put on you. That's how you're going to be known going forward. This is what it means to have a good word spoken over you. The good word is what God has done for you and how he sees you. And if you are in Christ today, his face shines upon you. Not because you have earned it, but because he has freely given it to you because you are in Christ. Because when he looks at you, he sees the righteous perfection of his son and he looks at you He turns towards you. He notices you. His face shines upon you because of what Christ has done for you. This is good news for you, and this is good news for the world. So what should we do in light of this fact? In light of this good news, this good word spoken over us first, we should have the good news on our lips. The good news on our lips. Because we need it, 
and the world needs it. We need good news, right? The world is full of nothing but bad news. There is bad news and darkness and lies at every turn. The world is full of bad news. Bad news sells. Bad news is easy for us to believe. We need good news for ourselves, and then this world desperately needs good news. And we have it. We have the good news. We need to have the good news on our lips. There's so much negativity. There's so many things that we could complain about, right? Yesterday the sun was out, but you might blow away, right? It's all about how you look at it. This is life, right? We're always going to have something to complain about. But rejoicing means having the good news on our lips. Having the good news on our lips. Saying, you know what? No matter what, no matter if I do blow away, no matter if it's snowing, no matter if it's raining and snowing in April and spitting ice out of the sky, I am blessed. I'm blessed by God, not by the good weather, not by what man has done to me, not based on the mistakes I have made or the suffering I'm enduring, even right now. I am blessed. I have good news on my lips. This is what it looks like to rejoice. Second, we need to use our speech for good. Use our speech for good. James wants to do two things. In James chapter 3, he wants to warn us to be careful with our words, but he also wants to empower us to use our words for good. To use our words for good. To use our words for blessing instead of curses. To use our words to encourage, to instill courage in another. To use words of thanksgiving. To use words to empower, to lift up, to give courage when the world is difficult. My wife has a habit of saying a phrase to me and my four boys when we are facing something difficult. She says, you got this. You got this. And when she says that as I'm leaving the door, I feel like I can do anything. Just because she believes that I can do it. Whether I'm going out to do a chore outside or coming here to preach the gospel, hearing her say, you got this, instills courage inside of me. We need to use our words for good, for praise, for things that are noble and just and praiseworthy. We need to be careful with how we use our words and we need to know how powerful they are. Third, we need to cultivate our awareness of being in Christ. We need to cultivate our awareness of being in Christ. If you are in Christ, it's a fact. It is not wishy-washy. It is not a roll of the dice. It is not a game of chance where we'll just see what happens when I die. If you are in Christ, that means your sins are forgiven and God sees you as holy and righteous right here, right now. If you are in Christ, then nothing can change that. Nothing can snatch you from his hand. You are in Christ. You are living for the kingdom come and he that holds the power to subject all things to himself is holding on to your salvation. If you are in Christ, you know a good news that leads you to a life of rejoicing, a life of peace, a life of joy. We need to be reminded of this good news. 
each day, sometimes each moment of each day, we need to do things that remind us that we are in Christ. Because so many things are telling us that we're not. So many things are dragging us down and taking us away from the good news of what Christ has done for us. So we read our Bible, we pray, we're around other believers, we participate in the gospel partnership, we listen to God, we sing songs of praise, we serve others to remember that we are in Christ because we need to be reminded. Remember, there are so many things stacked against our joy. There are so many things stacked against rejoicing, but Paul says rejoice. I will say again, rejoice. Because we are in Christ. What does it look like for you to cultivate your awareness of the fact that you are already in Christ? And if you find yourself this morning wondering if you are in Christ, or if this sounds like news that is too good to be true, we want to invite you to believe and receive this good news this morning. It's not based on what you've done. Don't wait till you clean up your act. Don't wait until you understand every little point, but believe the good news of what Christ has done for us in the forgiveness of sins, in the giving of his spirit, in the participation in the things of the kingdom. If you have questions about this, or even if you'd just like to let us know that you want to begin following Christ today, you can fill out the I Believe card. It's on the seat back right in front of you. And lastly, we need to walk in the power of the gospel. Walk in the power of the gospel. Look back with me at Philippians 4 in, at the closing of this letter. Philippians 4. There's something here in this signature that seems out of place. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There's a group of people here that seems out of place, right? So Paul and the other believers, he's, he's saying, this is from me and the other believers, and I'm writing to you, the church in Philippi. And then he adds this group of people and says, the household of Caesar greets you. So the household of Caesar, that's the Roman Empire. Those are the ones that put Paul in prison. Paul is writing this letter from a from a prison and he is there because of the Roman empire and Caesar holds the keys to Paul's future in chapter three. And in chapter four, Paul says the words, finally, one reason is because he didn't know if he would be, his head would be chopped off the next day. Caesar held the keys to his livelihood, to whether he would ever get out of this prison. But he says that there's some believers in Caesar's household that are sending you their greetings. Why is that? Because while Paul is chained up in prison, what is he doing? He's rejoicing. He is sharing the good news with anyone that is there long enough for him to say it to them. And there are some in Caesar's household that have heard and received and believed the good news of the gospel. As we leave here today, we go with the good news on our lips, and you better believe it is a powerful word. As we proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done for us into a world of bad news, it is powerful. And some will believe it and give their life to Christ. 
just like Paul saw in Caesar's household. So we go out from here today with the power of the gospel on our lips. It has the power to change lives. It has the power to change households. It has the power to change communities and our world. That's the good news that we can receive today. We have the words of the good news spoken over us and in us, and it can be on our lips as we leave here today. We are going to close the service in a fitting way by taking communion. Communion is a time to physically remember what Christ has done for us. If you did not receive the communion elements as you came in this morning, please put your hand up high right now. There's ushers that will come around and get you the elements. Go ahead and put your hand up high and they will come around and find you. This is an opportunity to physically remember all that Christ has done for us and the good news of the gospel. As we sing this song, prepare your hearts, prepare the elements to take them together. Please feel free to stand, sit, kneel, however you feel led, but let's worship together. Amen, Jesus. You are our living hope. We declare your victory today because you are alive, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus that though you hold the keys to life and death and you have subjected all things to yourself, you notice me. Jesus, thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your obedience, your righteousness, your holiness, your sacrifice in my place. Jesus, thank you for speaking a better word over us. Thank you for your body broken, your blood spilled, so that we may be called sons and daughters of God. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and breaking it and giving thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup of the fruit of the vine. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you that you are victorious even over our own sin, death itself, and all of your enemies, God. Jesus, thank you for this physical reminder that will literally go with us as we leave here today of your goodness, of your grace, of the good news of what you have done for us. Father, we pray that you would continue to speak to us throughout this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a- if you can, uh, stand up. I'm going to bless you with this blessing from Numbers and send you out of here today. And I want to remind you that when the Lord tells Moses to give these words to Aaron, he says in verse 27 of number 6, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. The Lord says, put my name on the people of Israel, Yahweh, his personal name. Name them with my name. Make their identity in me. 
And Jesus, right, the, the person that we know as Jesus, he would have been called Yeshua or something with a better accent, Yeshua, right, uh, by his friends and by his family. And that means Yahweh saves. Salvation is from Yahweh. So this is the name that we're talking about. When we're talking about putting this name on you and sending you out to do the Lord's work. That's the name. It's his personal name. He's giving it to you. Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yeshua lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in grace.